All right, I think we've got the stream going now. My apologies for the delay. I was, I was pushing buttons, and they weren't always doing exactly what I thought they were going to do. But guys, thank you so much. Welcome to Tech 37, your home for technology education and collaboration. My name is Rob Boyd. The title for today's episode, When Disaster Strikes, Cyber Recovery Strategies to Keep Infrastructure Running. And here's my thoughts. Security incidents, easy for me to say, are always underreported in the news media. So it even seems a bit even more alarming now when we're seeing so much, especially, I think it was just last night, yet another big ransomware attack affecting things, you know, from meatpacking plants to pipelines to hospitals to government agencies. It's like rock, meat, hard place. And this stuff has gotten extremely real. But the question becomes, what's your plan? How are you going to respond when your entire operation is brought to a halt? Or in fact, if we were to change the title of today's show just a bit, when disaster strikes, what are your options, right? Okay, well, we're going to find out. Please welcome two Tech 37 experts right after this. I meant to say two Tech 37 experts. My terminology, because I find most, the smarter people, the smartest people I work with generally don't like being called experts. I didn't bother to clarify that with you guys. Either way, uh, I'm anxious to learn more from you guys on this topic because actually it has been something that has, um, I don't think has had clear answers for quite a while, which is what do we do before, during, after when it comes to ransomware? Uh, and as we were speaking of before, you guys are dealing with this with your customers and you've been down this road. You've been providing advice and you've been seeing the reactions, the results and things that are going on. And so I'm anxious to get into this, but thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Uh, I tell you what, let's do some quick introductions. Uh, let's start with Dominic, shall we? Dominic, tell us who you are, what you do for Worldwide. Sure, uh, Dominic Greco. I work on our global engineering team at Worldwide Technology, focusing on backup and recovery. And I've been with the company for a little over two years. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Let me get back to you. I've got to get better at my finger pushing or button pushing, I should say, with the finger getting ahead of myself. Richard Thomas. I always remember you're the Houstonian I like working with. Um, so always good to have a Texan on here regardless. But um, tell us a little bit about what you do for Worldwide and, uh, and then we'll start with you when you get back on that one. So I am one of our consulting solutions architects. So um, I cover most of the, the central region directly and I'm actually focused solely on you know, cyber resilience and you know, our practice there. Excellent. Well, so as we talked about uh, with regards to ransomware specifically, this uh, this show was originally started, was in that area, but it really focused on recovery, which implies that there's already been an attack. But I wonder if we could start from the beginning. And Richard, um, I'm just going to lean on you a little bit here. And can you kind of get us started with uh, what's this, I'm going to say journey, but what's this journey um, look like uh, based on your experience across different customers, you know, uh, what is it, how does it tend to get started? And, and, and then we'll kind of pick up from there as we go through that to look at what our options are. So if we, we look at, you know, the immediate aftermath, you know, once you've been attacked, once you kind of wake up in the morning or, you know, show up and, and click the mouse and see that, you know, dreaded ransomware or malware you know, signature, you really kind of have to look at it from from two aspects. You know, the first is going to be, you know, what do I do from a, a business perspective, right? Mm -hmm. So if I'm a chief information security officer, if I'm a CIO, if I'm a CEO, you know, similar to you know natural disaster or you know, things of that magnitude, there's decisions to be made right then and there, and the decision is is not technical. It's more you know. What do I need to do and you know, how do I respond to this from a business perspective, right? Do I pay this ransomware 
Do I think that's going to be my best path forward? Right. Do I not pay it? Do I have other options? What, what are my options? Right. Yeah. What, what can I do in this situation? And you know, based on you know, how many systems were infected, whether it was detected, you know, there's a ton of factors that go into this, but the one thing that we've seen that's common across you know, all of the attack examples, and, and I'll get into one very specifically here in a second is if you pay the ransom, you don't know what you're going to get. You don't know if you're actually going to get the decryption keys. You don't know what the outcome of that is really going to be. So, you know, instead of it being like a, hey, I paid this amount and, and I got these things. Well, it could be you know, very similar to one of the most recent attacks is, you know, you paid $4 million. They did give you the key, but there was no way that you could actually recover your systems fast enough using the key and using the software that they provided to really you know, stay in business and restore services. So, you know, when we look at that, our job from a WWT perspective is let's give you, you know, options that have a known outcome. Let's get that unknown kind of off the table and let's give you the ability to, okay, if you want to go down that path, if you want to pay, okay, you pay, but here's how you, you can recover. Here's the, the way you could do that. You know, in addition to that, right? Let's give you some known options. Let's, let's help you, you know, minimize that risk. Dominic, what you, you were looking like you were going to jump in there for a second, and I encourage you to do so, of course. But what are, what are your thoughts here that are important to understand at the top? Yeah, I think it's really important to really understand what your critical applications are. You know, as Richard said, we we're in the business of providing predictable, predictable solutions. So if you know what your critical applications are, you know their size and scope and what their re recovery time is, right? you can architect a solution that says, hey, I've got to have my most critical applications back up and running in six hours and be confident that if you do get hit, you're able to respond and not dependent on you know, paying somebody $2 million in Bitcoin or whatever. Well, there's a couple of thoughts that you both are hitting me with. One is, I think one of the reasons why, at least just putting myself in the shoes of anybody responsible for a company, and I've got my own company, granted, it's, it's pretty small. But um, the point which you're saying there is in a lot of these situations, there's this loss of control um, that it may become, and this is what, of course, we want to keep people from doing, which is where it becomes the first time they think about how to respond is when they're already in the thick of it, which is obviously for security and many other things, it's the worst time. And you have to be a little bit pessimistic and say, okay, let's just acknowledge that you're probably going to get hit to some degree at some point, just like we always say with security. So let's decide now how you're going to react in the situation. So it's not new, it's deja vu, as I think I heard someone say. Um, but also what I what you're saying there too is I don't think you would unless you had gone through the exercise as Dominic is saying here of identifying what's critical how do you prioritize then you are signing yourself up for just more of the quite logical chaos that would ensue in that situation. Okay, so uh, and then, well the other thing actually uh, Richard that you're bringing up there which is this notion that I used to think of it as really binary it was either um, either you you get the keys uh, you know probably from paying uh, but I didn't think about the fact that. There's a, there's a chance the keys don't work or they don't work at a, at a speed or there's something involved with the encryption to where it's it's not just lights on, lights off kind of thing. Um, and so that's an interesting, there's a, there's a huge gray area that is still painful and obviously uh, impactful to the bottom line. Okay, so what's, so given that consideration and the fact that we need to understand this, I assume, is it logical to stay on the front of this and talk about how do we prepare appropriately or, or um, what's the best way to kind of go down that path? Yeah, I, I think just like any situation, so just like traditional business continuity, just like traditional BR, where 
there are processes and procedures for natural disasters. There are processes and procedures for hardware failure. You've got to structure your organization the same way, right? You've got to determine, okay, what is my incident response plan? How do I need my business units? How do I need all these parts of my organization? What do they do when this happens? Because unlike a natural disaster, unless it's you know an earthquake, if it's a hurricane, if it's something of that nature, we can see it coming, right? We can get on the horn, we can communicate, we can send email, we have communication. Well, what do you do if all of a sudden all of your IT phones don't work? What do you do if they pushed a clear to all of your company's cell phones? You know, how do you communicate with your teams? How do your teams respond? So if, if you haven't you know, set something in place of, if you see this, this is what you do, how do you even push that out to teams in real time? You know, trying, you know, trying to do that during a real incident, right? And that's huh. you know, the the you know I would say you know, governance side of this, which is you know, you've got to develop that plan. Your teams need to know. Okay, we're in this scenario. This is how we respond. Especially if you're in manufacturing, if you're in oil and gas, if you're in energy, if you're in you know something that you know, like a refinery, if you're in a meat processing plant, if you're in some of these places that have been hit where, hey, that could cause a loss of life event. Even if you're in healthcare, you know, what happens if your EMR goes offline? What happens if surgeons can't get to patient records right before a surgery? What do you do? How do you handle that? And if you haven't really taken the time to go through that, it's chaos. It's funny. You also remind me of, of when I was in Boy Scouts many, many years ago and this notion of Okay, I'm gonna get the swimming merit badge. I'm like, I know how to swim. And they go, Oh yeah? How about fully clothed? And I got pushed in, you know, and it was this and you know, and part of the the life saving I think maybe it was more of a life saving badge. It was about, you know, being able to strip off your pants and use and then ex- ex- and uh and, and turn them into a flotation device. And I'm like, okay, that's a completely different situation I hadn't originally prepared for. But I like what you're saying here too, is you're also saying, if I'm but correct me if I'm wrong, is that you're saying the same type of setup in uh, knowledge and awareness of critical applications and processes and procedures that you should be doing for your business in many other areas. A lot of that information is very much exactly what you need to be using in this scenario. Is that, um, yep. that's correct. Mm-hmm. All right. So, all right. Um, Dominic comments on that. Yeah, no, I think as Richard said, having the plan is important. And I think just as important as practicing the plan, right. Knowing that when Ooh. these situations come up, it's not, it's not the first time you've done it. If you look at a football team, right. If it's third and short, they know they're going to check to this run play third and long. They're going to throw it there, right? The repetition, the practice, so that when these situations come up, you're not experiencing it for the first time. You should be doing these ideally once every three months. How do we recover these applications? What's the scenario? What was attacked? And kind of rehearsing that regularly. I mean, you hope it never happens, but you want yeah. to be prepared as much as possible for sure. So, okay. So let's say that, let's assume that that's not an overwhelming ask for anybody, that they either haven't already done it. And you made a good point too about anyone I think people in critical industries, um, you know, especially around infrastructure, uh, certainly government operations, oil and gas, these are places, I'm guessing you probably deal with a little bit of oil and gas, Richard. So there's probably some, <laughs> some of your customers that would, uh, but I would imagine that, that they, I don't know, let me just ask you, not naming names, but are, is this, is this a still a new story for preparing in this manner uh, for many people who you would think would maybe already be addressing this? It, it is because this is such a, a complex topic. It's it's unlike anything that anybody's faced before, right? Even if you know customers lost a data center, right? Even if certain things happened, 
they were looking at it either from a hardware failure or a natural disaster, or you know, there's some reason why that went offline, right? The the systems that we've come to expect to be online, you know, our active directories, our DNS services, when you look at those through the traditional lens of business continuity or DR, most of those systems are up and running in a DR, or up and running in multiple data centers or multiple locations kind of around the world. And you're not really thinking about how do I recover those systems from scratch? You're thinking, okay, I've got to go start my, my critical business applications. You know, I've got to go restart the critical, you know, customer facing or business unit facing systems that were in that data center. Not, I have to completely rebuild and reconfigure my network from a global standpoint. I have to go, you know, potentially push out all new configurations to my firewalls. In addition to that, I have to go figure out why did my systems get compromised? How did they get compromised? Mm -hmm. What does that even look like? And that's going to involve, you know, not only your company, but if you're an American-based company, that could involve the FBI, that can involve the federal government, that can involve a number of agencies, and you may not even be able to touch the systems that were attacked until the evidence and cyber forensics has taken place. So what do you do then, right? It's a completely different way of looking at recovery that you know, most customers you know, outside of the ones we know about and most you know, may not report have ever really gone through. So it's a very, very unique thing to go through. And it's unlike anything else that people have dealt with in the past. Yeah, I was, I was writing about this earlier and I kept thinking about this. Um, I had this image in my head of this incredible stillness of everyone in your organization suddenly with nothing to do. Because if, mm -hmm. if, if all the computers disappear, I mean, it's, it's like worse than a power outage because everything looks kind of normal. And, and, um, but everybody is, and then if everybody realizes, starts to dawn on what's happening, of course, they're getting that information piecemeal because more than likely this means your communications have been majorly affected. And, and so there's just this incredible uncomfortable stillness with all these wasted resources uh, if, if, if there's no idea of where to put them towards. Um, so you had mentioned something to me that I was not familiar with, and I don't know if this is the right place. So you feel free to tell me we need to wait at another beat, but the vault or a vault. Can you explain what this concept is or, or technology is and where this comes into play here and, and, and your advice that you like to give? Yeah. So I think we look at, you know, if we shift the conversation a little bit, right, you know, from, okay, you've been attacked, you know, worst case, you've, you've not prepared to, Okay, how do you get prepared? How do you have options? You know, how do you have a way to respond to this, right? We've talked a little bit about having the incident response framework or having an incident response plan. Well, okay, what enables that process? You know, how do we you know, give you the backups or give you these options? And that's where you know, the cyber recovery and the cyber vault aspect of this kind of come into play of, okay, you know, we know these threats have evolved. We know that they're going to go after your production systems. We know they're going to go after DR. We know they're going to go after backups. So, you know, what do you do? And that's where you're building this protected, you know, secure enclave, right? Because if anybody's been, you know, part of the military and is watching, when we say air gap, you're going to tell me that it never touches any other network. I'm going to tell you, yeah, no, I get it. And that is true. So, you know, while we would love for it to be the case, we still have to move in, you know, potentially petabytes worth of data into this, this vault. And so you know, what do we mean by vault? Well, we mean something that is going to be, you know, connected to your network, maybe two hours a day, maybe, you know, one hour here and then one hour here twice a day. You know, whatever that cycle looks like will we'll help you figure that out. But what we're doing is protecting your most critical data 
And in addition to protecting your most critical data, we are going to go pull in things like your network configs, your Active Directory systems, your DNS configs, all of these key critical infrastructure components, put them in a vault, and then shut that vault door, right? Physically air gap that. Let's put that in a protected environment that no one can get to. Okay. So that if you do get hit, you've got one of two options. One, we may have standby infrastructure in this protected environment that we can immediately fail over to and you know bring systems up using, depending on who you are, depending on you know, how quickly you need to recover. Or two, we're gonna have the method, the means and procedures in the process to go back and recover your production infrastructure, recover those key critical systems, you know, much faster than, you know, let's say 14 days, right? So it gives you, like I said at the beginning, known outcomes or controlled outcomes that are, you know, gonna mitigate that risk. Yeah, question, Dominic, in that situation, for you, I, I'm curious, it feels like there's, I would say, a failure of imagination in terms of you have to kind of go through and say, well, what are all the things that could go missing? And it feels like there's missing or damaged or inaccessible, you know, things that will stop the business. And so as you're prioritizing those things, it feels like there may be no end to the depth or as far as you could go. So I would imagine that like most risk reduction conversations, there's going to be a some decision uh, making with the pros and cons around uh, how far do you go with this exercise because you can't put everything in the vault kind of thing. You can't completely replicate the company in the vault. Um, is Are there any kind of strategies for how you uh, kind of pick and choose in that area? Yeah. So I think it really requires IT to be closely aligned with the business to really understand, okay, oh, that again. business, okay. what, you know, what, what do we absolutely... Yeah, right. What are these applications that are absolutely critical for us being online? And once we understand those applications, we can figure out, okay, these applications are made up of these servers, and here's the dependencies that we would need to bring those back. So beyond just the backup data, right, we would need Active Directory, DNS, networking, firewall, et cetera, and kind of protect all that. That's how you do it, it because really it's about kind of driving out risk. You know, it's kind of a risk versus spending balance. So to your point, you can't replicate the whole company. You could yeah. do something like that, but it would be cost prohibitive, and I would argue probably too risky, right? Because your replication windows would be so big. So it all goes back to for these solutions to be successful is IT tightly aligned both internally and with the business. How much do you need to be aware of point in time versus, because I tend to think of attacks as knowing, you know, what's that gap between the point in which uh, a, a breach occurs and the point in which you uh, realize it. And of course, a lot of different damages or, or or things can happen in that interim time. Here, it does feel like you're going to be aware of it immediately, I would guess, in most situations. And so it's not as if you have, do you have to have a fallback point with your backup data or is your backup data even considered part of the vault? Because I would think that's kind of a big thing to potentially take in. Yeah, uh, so definitely, the, yeah. No, definitely no, the backup data is, uh, is part of the vault. And a key component of these vault solutions is like an analytical component, right? So as your backups come in, right, they're scanned with analytical software to say, hey, you know what, we, we believe there's malware present, right? And that's an indication that you may be compromised. It's also beneficial because if you need to recover, you want to make sure that your backups are good if you're not restoring backups that are already infected. So that analytical okay. component really helps there. Richard, you were going to say something. Yeah. So it, it, I think that's a, the right statement is you know, even if, if we're going to use you know traditional business continuity, array-based replication, for example, we're still going to want to keep multiple rollback points. You know, having immutable rollback points is, is very important. And there's two reasons behind it. One is it helps us detect and, and look for compromise, right? Because 
you know, I was talking to a customer this morning and we were talking about, you know, a lot of organizations have shifted their security posture where they used to do offline file scans that could take days, weeks, you know, months to scan through petabytes worth of data, right? That was a traditional model kind of in the early 2000s. And now they've shifted to, you know, endpoint detection and response, EDR, where, hey, when that malicious code gets executed and I see that kick off, then I take a response, right? So I'm not scanning file systems, I'm not doing this. Well, that brings two challenges, right? Because that means if there's an executable or there's an exploit out there that's not kicking off on a local machine as an agent and that may be running on a storage array, well, how do you detect that? And that's where, you know, what Don was mentioning, the security analytics portion of that, the vault may catch something first before it's even been detonated in production. And so it's really kind of a, a two-phased approach of, I need to know when my potential last good, clean copy was. Right. And then two, I need to know when my you know first signs of infection happened because I may want to do some other forensics work and look at, okay, from this immutable copy, I may mount this in a clean room and my cyber forensics team or the FBI or you know, whoever's working with me may replay that attack over and over and over again to understand you know, how are you compromised? What does the infection look like? What is the signature? Because ultimately, if you can determine some of those things, maybe it's not a recovery procedure. Maybe it is you know, pushing out a patch to your enterprise-wide you know, antivirus client, and it hits and knocks that signature out on its own, right? So That's it's two important aspects right there. Yeah, and that's interesting too because you kind of remind me of like that whole you know uh, trope of a scene that you see in in crime stories on TV where there was like don't walk in the that's the crime area don't walk in there you're gonna you're gonna mess up the evidence. Uh, how often is it a concern that in in the chaos that ensues after a ransomware attack that you may be doing things in your best you know what you think is best for the company but you could be destroying either helpful information or stuff that could be setting you back from being able to do what you need to do. It's very common, right? Because, you know, while everyone's first instinct, your first instinct is I've got to recover as quickly as possible. I'm going to go take that system that was hit that's down and re-image it and get it back up. Well, hold on. Yeah. We need to understand how you were hit because what may happen is if you don't know how you were hit, you're going to re-image, you're going to come online and you got hit again because you yeah. didn't stop while you were originally being infected, right? So... That goes, you know, back to we've got to have those processes in place so that people know, you know I can't just reimage the server. I can't just bring this back online until, you know, cyber forensics or, you know, my incident response team or whoever gives me that green light to say, hey, the production environment has been cleaned. Hey, we're in a known good state where you can actually now start recovering to this equipment because it's not just, you know, it may not just be written to the hard drive. It may not just be encrypted, you know, data. It could be sitting in the firmware of the server. And every time you write anything to that server, it just sets that malware right back off again, right? So it's very important that it's kind of that multi-team approach of, hey, we have to know how we were hit. We have to respond to that. And then once we you know, know how we were hit, know how to respond to it. And once we've got the forensic or the evidence of how we have all those logs, now let's start that recovery process, right? And so depending on who you are and depending on the industry you're in, 
that could be a very long process depending on the scope of the attack. So you, not only do you have to think about you know, how do I recover, it could be what alternative systems do I need maybe in this protected environment because I can't go back and use my production systems because I need to do forensics because maybe the government stepped in and said, I'm going to take that. And they left the building with your hardware. It, it does really happen, right? Because, you know, depending on who you are, it could be national security. So yeah. what do you do at that point, right? And so having these plans, having this kind of lined out, not only from the technology side, but from the business side, that's you know, where this large, complex monster kind of starts to, to unravel, right? So... Before we get into suggestions for where to go for more, and spoiler alert, this show is classic for this. Of course, it involves worldwide technology. No need to beat around that push. But I want to understand, um, also on the post side, you mentioned something that, that I already pointed out was interesting to me, this notion of, of you know, the whole do I pay or do I not pay. Um, I want to make sure I understand kind of the after response. So it sounds like one key takeaway is, big surprise, proactive planning uh, it greatly increases your odds of a successful recovery that does not cost your business as much. I would imagine it must cost something um, when these things happen. But the idea is how do you shrink this from a time perspective and a, and a business impact perspective so that it ideally costs less money and you're, you're back up and no one's the wiser in, in a perfect world. But what happens, you know, that it's not as simple, it sounds like, as just saying, do I pay them? Do they take credit card points? Should I put this on the Amex or should I, you know, and, and, and I was amazed in this New York Times article that came out, I think it was yesterday, with the meatpacking plant that's just hit the news. Uh, and they had a great interview with a consultant who actually works both sides of this, just helping people do the negotiation because, you know, uh, the bad guys are pricing these things reasonably so that it actually looks like it's a good answer for you because they're going after numbers, not just you more than likely. And so they're not looking to score the, the hit of the century right away. I don't what, what recommendations are important. Here? So, so depending on who hits you, right. It, one thing I will say is it may not be about money. It, it could be a oh, political okay. statement. It could, it could be something, you know, beyond that. The ones that typically make the news that you hear about are typically the more traditional attack that is, you know, someone out for money. And to be honest, most of those organizations that are doing a lot of this are just that. They're an organization. You know, it's not yeah. a you know, two guys in a van. It is a company that's, you know, in, in certain parts of the world that this is what they do. This is how they make their money. It's a business transaction to them, right? Yeah, they have customer and, service department, the whole bit, I've noticed. Yeah. Yeah. That HR, right? They get benefits, you know. They go to work and it's a guy sitting at a desk. So it's not going away is what you're saying. It's a business. Yeah. So when you look at that, they're more likely to, you know, potentially give you the key, give you the ability, you know, to get your data back, right? Because they don't want people to not pay, right? They're incentivized to actually follow through because if if you get their name and you figure out who they are and then they hit another company and you say, well, they didn't give us the keys, that other company is bad business. Yeah, it's not good for the recurring. You know, that's not the case every time. And so that's where exactly what you talked about as we talk about the incident response plan, it's not just about, you know, your internal process. It's about who do you bring in? What third party? What third parties are you bringing in? Are you bringing in a CrowdStrike, a Mandiant? Who are you bringing in? A a Crypsis, for example, that's not only going to help you with the cyber forensic side of this to help you figure out how you were breached, but potentially have contacts or have a broker that's going to help you negotiate with that third party should you decide that you're going to pay. And you know, 
there are people out there that are specialized in doing explicitly that with, you know, between the, the enterprise and these groups. So that is a part of that strategy, right? It, it's not just, hey, we protected your data, you have these options. What if they took all of your intellectual property right after they encrypted it? What if they have your data? What if they have email trails or logs or company secrets that you don't want to get out, right? We're seeing them take this two-pronged approach because they've realized, hey, these people are starting to do vaults. This concept of cyber resiliency is starting to take off. These people are starting to protect themselves. I need two methods to guarantee that I get paid. So either you pay me and I give you the key and delete the data, or you don't pay me and you recover your data and I release your data. Right. And that's where you're going to need to know how do you figure out what that scope was? And then if it did take something that's, you know, one of your intellectual patents, that's you know, more valuable than anything else to you. You do need that third party. You do need that negotiator to make sure that you transact the right way. And one, you don't break any international laws. Right. There's a whole big slew of, you know, law enforcement agencies that, you know, the U.S. doesn't want you to pay, right? They want to unincentivize these people. So you know, how do you do this and you pay maybe to get your data back without breaking the law at the same time, right? So you're going to need to know all the steps, whether you decide to pay or not. It's going to have to be an informed decision. So being able to make that informed decision is really what we're trying to do. So with today's show, um, you guys had put up two different links. Um, hopefully, if, if anyone's watching this live, you know, right now as we're streaming it, which I always encourage you to do, you can go to www.com. There's a lot of events. It's not just Tech 37. You guys are, are, are always in a sharing frame of mind, it feels like, and I like that a lot because you got a lot of smart people to learn from. Uh, but there are a couple of things that I noticed links off of the page uh, where this show is, is being streamed is this uh, Cyber Resilience Briefing, and then I had um, uh, Cyber Resiliency, which is... Um, uh, kind of more informational and such here. Dominic, can you comment on what kind of services Worldwide is providing in this area? And I'm happy to click on anything I should have clicked on already. But um, uh, you guys have been dealing with this for a while. You both you both have customers, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. So with the briefing, we're really going to come in. Uh, it's, it's no charge to our customers. And we're going to talk about kind of how we see cyber recovery and cyber resilience, provide some education, I give some examples and you know look to understand what the customer is doing at a high level and make some high level recommendations. Um, you know we can have subsequent follow up discussions where we really will dive in. We might spend 48 hours with the customer um, developing a high level design to say, hey, here's how we understand your environment, here's how we understand your requirements, and here's a high level architecture of what you know providing a cyber recovery vault would look like in your environment. Right. So yeah. we can go beyond beyond that. I mean we have we can go from beginning to end, but those are some of the high level kind of first steps we take with our customers. Okay. And then you guys also provide, uh, so you've got the briefing, and then this was just informational, I think, here in terms of the cyber resilience, I, um, to make sure I've got my stuff correct. And you've got some great points here along always additional reading and such like this. And, of course, I link to all of this off of the show page. So anybody that's watching this now, uh, you just scroll to the bottom, and this is where you can get to more information uh, in terms of um, uh, good Good stuff to continue to outline this. But before we run out of time, I also, I don't want to make sure I cut you off too early. What else is important in this discussion uh, to understand here? Uh, so, Richard? So, I, I, think, I think we've talked a lot about, you know, the business process, the business procedures, right? I think the other thing to understand is from a technology, from a, you know, how do I build my vault perspective, right? 
there are you know a lot of off-the-shelf solutions. There are a lot of ways to approach this. And the one thing that I, I think is challenging when you're a customer is, what's the right way for me, right? Do I go with an off-the-shelf solution or you know, is that not really going to meet my requirements? And then how do I figure that out? And that's where we've been you know, helping you know, operations and architects from a technical level is, you know, let's look at the requirements. Let's look at all those things we talked about earlier that came from the business side and we'll help you and tell you, okay, this is how you meet those. This is how you do this. This is how you leverage maybe your technology that you've already invested in, right? Maybe you don't need to change OEMs. Maybe you don't need to change your you know, processes and methods. Maybe there's a better way. And so that's a good point. Really take that broad look and tell you, here's what will work and here, here's what won't, right? Well, and I like what you're saying there too, because if I was to expand that a bit more is I was first maybe naively thinking of this as, I don't know what to do. I'm coming to worldwide technology to help arm myself, which is fine. But then I'm hearing a different nuance in there too, which is you're saying that I could do too much in the wrong direction and waste time and resources because I'm kind of stabbing in the dark, trying to just think logically through this as, as least as I often do. Um, but it sounds like, so you can help in both directions. Don't work too hard on something you don't have to. At the same time, don't leave any stone unturned that's going to become important. Um, Dominic, I'm curious if there's, what is the people aspect of this? You know, I always know worldwide focuses, you guys drill this into me constantly. It's a people process, the technology. One thing about the people that I'm always thinking about in this one is, are there, is there a, a prioritization of the people that need to be notified, involved, um, you know, maybe some logical ones like certain technological, but maybe certain executives or PR or something like that that also come into a plan like this? Yeah, I think for our customers that are successful with this, right, there's some level of executive sponsorship and there's hyper collaboration amongst the groups, right? It's backup, storage, security, application owners, right, database administrators all working together um, to, you know, provide this architecture. And I think it's really important that you know, customers test this regularly and just continue to stay in touch about it because these threats are evolving constantly. And it's, to me, it's not like, okay, a customer starts a project, they're finished August 1st. Okay, we have cyber resilience, we have cyber recovery. The threats are evolving, so the customer always has to continue involved in their process, right, to be successful. Yeah. And as we wind up here, <laughs> Richard, I was going to ask you a question, Is it's like putting food in your mouth. Okay, now, question to Richard. Um, but final final word here, uh, as, as we as we wind up, uh, what's what's important to remember other than the obvious, which is just go to Worldwide Technology for assistance. You guys are you guys have a process, you have methodologies that are road tested and continually improved. Uh, but is there any anything in particular that you're always frustrated by having to re-educate people on, perhaps in this in this area, misnomer, something? Um, I think people consistently underestimate how complex of a project this can actually be. Um, yeah. you know, we, we have a lot of customers that started down the path, you know, on their own only to realize six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, or even years into it, this is much more complex than I thought of. Um, you know, so to the you know, customers listening, it is a complex project. It does involve a lot of teams, but it is possible. You know, don't get discouraged. Don't don't think that it's you know an unachievable objective. You can get there. You can get there the right way. We just you know you just need to know how. And just to clarify again, you guys are talking about. It sounds like even though we're talking about this in isolation around ransomware, 
one, there's a lot of things from a security perspective, especially prevention and the basics that we're always encouraging, such as updating operating systems and patching and, and segmentation, micro-segmentation, and so on and so forth. All those things obviously play a part because they make it more difficult, never impossible, but more difficult at least for these things to come in. But it's the same vulnerabilities that we've always had that are tend to be exploited in these situations. Um, it feels like, so it's not as if someone's going out saying, I'm looking for ransomware targets. They're looking for vulnerabilities to get in. And... The good news, it sounds like, is, is even if this does is just as big a project for someone, depending on what they've done already or haven't done, I would imagine that you guys also have the ability to advise and go, I came to you for ransomware, but you helped me understand my security resilience and my, my cyber resilience holistically because a lot of the same actions may be a lot, but they're not just for ransomware. They're, they're about running a company the proper manner in today's digital world. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I like that because to me that makes it easier to digest uh, and to put money towards. I was going to play some music underneath as I was trying to wrap things up here. So hopefully you can hear a little bit of that because I think it's cool when I do that. But anyway, I want to turn to our audience and say thank you for spending time with us. Please thank you to Dominic, to Richard. I encourage everyone in the audience to join the platform. It gives you the ability actually to go look at the bios of these guys here, to look at and be uh, notified when new articles are coming out from them or their team members uh, around these subjects that you care about, which I'm sure are probably well beyond even just security topics or or uh, certainly ransomware. But my name is Rob Boyd. I certainly appreciate all the time that you spend with us, and I appreciate all the things I get to learn from worldwide technology. To the rest of you, enjoy the rest of your day. Hope it's a good one, and we'll see you on the next one. Y'all take care.